Hey, how's it going, Milksters? I'm David Davis. And I'm your old buddy, Boola And we want to tell you how you can get in contact with the wonderful Milking It podcast. It's very, very simple. It's so simple, even Boo can do it. I does computers. Yes, you can email us. It's milkingitpodcast at gmail.com. Or I believe we also have a Facebook, Boo. Uh, I believe it's facebook.com forward slash milkingitpodcast. And if you want to be ignored in a cyberspace, then please follow us on Twitter. Yes, our Twitter is at Teat Tugger. That's at Teat Tugger. Because we're the podcast that tugs the teat of popular culture and explodes all of your face. Get it? Yeah, see, how, see how it works? <laughs> Clever, eh? Yes, those are the three main ways to get in contact with us. If you have any ideas for future shows, if you're really pissed off at me for any reason, I'm, I'm sorry. And but don't. please send us an email and abuse away. Welcome everyone to the Milking It Podcast, the podcast that tugs the tea to popular culture until it explodes all over your face. I'm David Davis. And I am the irrepressible Boulamont. And here we are, it's episode 18. Can you imagine? Episode 18. The number 18 in Chinese culture means wealth and prosperity, with people paying over the odds for buildings on floor 18. Being 18, the Milking It Podcast can now vote. We can have a bit of slap and tickle in 11 states within the US, and then go and see the Keith Lemon movie. But why the fuck would we want to do that? that so come celebrate us turning 18 pour yourself a stiff drink slip into something more comfortable and come on board as we take a stroll through the week of geek yes it's going to be a bumper episode this week lots to get through but once again you're in good company it's the milking it podcast i've got the So, unfortunately, uh, there's another bit of sad news, or a couple of bits of sad news, to start off uh, this week's Milking It podcast. Uh, normally, it's uh, me who sits here and soliloquizes about uh, an individual who's passed away, but uh, I could not just do this on my own, as uh, the first individual, well, indeed both individuals that we uh, are sad to report on this week, have meant a hell of a lot, both to us individually, and also as part of the podcast, uh, especially the, the first. Um, Harold Ramis, who most people will know as Egon Spengler from Ghostbusters, passed away this week um and i know it, it was only uh, 69 i think he's still reasonably young had been suffering from an illness for some time but uh, just wanted to get some of your thoughts boo on on harold ramus actor director writer De- devastated dave absolutely devastated uh, I, I mean how ramus and not just how ramus but the character of egon which he helped create meant the world to me I, i'll give you an example why and I, I this probably will even ring true for you hmm. when i was uh, a young lad um all the heroes of film and comic and tv had dark hair and they were athletic and um i i was just that specky kid i was that specky nerdy kid and uh, there was no there were there was no one no one for me to play as my, my older brother he was the tall one with the dark hair he got to be indiana jones he got to be han solo he got to be all the cool characters well i got to be egon spengler and he affirmed for me that it was that it was cool to be geeky it was cool to be nerdy and you know he was he was this absolute hero in glasses with the, with the high top with the high hair and the it made me feel like there were more people like there 
like me out there and uh, it gave me someone to look up to as a child um not just egon i mean he he wrote and directed groundhog day which is such mm. an important film to me uh, and again we'll touch on that in a bit but it was such a great movie and then it's one of the first movies that kind of makes depression a joke out of depression but not in a bad way like you know the, the, the character is seen on the bill murray's character is seen on the screen trying to kill himself so many times and you know it still has a great ending and it shows that there's a you know there is a way out a better way out there just uh, there was just so much important stuff that came from her uh, caddyshack i mean i love caddyshack but um i think ultimately it's the character of egon i remember him most for and you know as i said as a child it gave me someone to look up to absolutely i think i mean you, you can't discount uh, discredit the the writing he did and you know things like groundhog day were absolutely wonderful like you say caddyshack and sort of meatballs and stuff like that they did stripes as well i think alongside bill murray um so yeah and i, I i'm also forgetting the saturday night live stuff that he was involved in in writing he, he did a, a hell of a lot behind the scenes on that show which of course brought him together with the, the other guys who who were in Ghostbusters? So yeah, it was uh, it was one of those moments of sort of oh wow, there's a, another little bit of my childhood that's that's no longer around, unfortunately. Um, interesting though to to read that Bill Murray and him had had, had this few, not not really a feud because it wasn't a, a malicious thing necessarily, uh, but they from what I'm reading they they had quite a long period where they just didn't have any sort of social interaction, as didn't have anything to do with each other, despite the fact that you, you imagine that they were all quite a tight team of people and they, they stayed friends for so long. But uh, it was, actually. Uh... I actually have a bit of knowledge on that, Dave. You see, when Groundhog Day was being filmed, Bill Murray was going through a very messy divorce, and he was going through a period of his life which Dan Aykroyd and uh, Harold Ramis termed the Murricane. <laughs> he basically um, he turned up for work when he wanted. He turned, you know, or he wouldn't turn up when he wanted. Mm. He would turn up at any time he wanted. He just, he just, uh, he would basically, uh, in in Harold Ramis's words, was he was actually acting like a child. He, you know, he was saying instead of shouty and throwing your thing you know throwing your toys out your pram why don't you just tell me what you want and you can have it kind of thing mm. but apparently he was just very distant he found the whole thing really hard and he just they they just dropped just stopped talking and then as much as i love bill murray he does appear to be a man that can hold a grudge for as long as as long as it will take in fact i was kind of disappointed um that the only he had very few words to say about Harold Ramis passing away he said he wrote, you know, we worked together on National Lampoon and, and, mm. and SNL and, and Groundhog Day and blah, blah, blah. He earned his place on this planet. And that's all Bill Murray had to say for it. And maybe Bill's not saying anything because he knows it might not be the appropriate thing after all these years of not talking to just come out and, and say loads and loads about it. But um, it is a shame that they, they, they were so distant for so many years. I think um, Groundhog Day in early to mid 90s so no 93 i think grand yeah grand yeah yeah so, so it's a shame to read that but they they did end that estrangement uh, shortly before uh, harold ramis passed away but i think it was also quite telling especially in today's sort of media culture where everyone knows everything about every celebrity is that harold ramis managed to stay a very private individual and most people outside of his sort of circle of friends had no idea that he'd been quite as ill as he was and been suffering from a lot of complications uh, from the blood disease that he had but uh, yeah terrible shame We're, and uh, i think we'll all be uh, or have already uh, popped some howard ramis uh, films on the old dvd player just to uh, to celebrate a, a great man a very very talented individual some people think i'm too intellectual but i think it's a fabulous way to spend your spare time i also play racquetball do you have any hobbies i collect spores molds and fungus
So I said there was a, a couple of individuals who um, we uh, were going to mention today uh, who unfortunately are no longer with us. Um, the second one, a uh, very, very different character in many, many ways to Harold Ramis, but uh, it was uh, one of the uh, wrestlers, Big Daddy V, Nelson Frazier Jr. passed away, uh, otherwise known as Mabel and various other gimmicks, the Harlem Knights, I believe they were in sort of USWA and places like that. Um, it, it, it's been a strange one because so far, I think that he passed away last week just before we... Um, we put up the last podcast I believe and uh, there hasn't been any sort of official announcement by the WWE on their television programs and things like that I believe there is on this week's Smackdown uh, a graphic before the show but um, it's only when you look into it and when, when I was sort of having a little look at his his uh, Wikipedia page which is generally where I pull a lot of information from uh, just how much stuff he did and how many times he went back to the company you forget that he you know he had a successful run as sort of three different characters uh, but then I suppose you know, what, what he was six seven six eight and weighed close to four hundred and fifty pounds. So he was uh, he was certainly someone who fit the uh, the killer heel sort of mold, and and someone so, yeah someone that I saw I saw a couple of times actually live and was I know it's 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 cliche to say but he he could move for a big guy. And how much did those ropes go back when he took it? When uh, he went off the ropes. The he first like they were going to go into the audience. The first ever sort of live WWE show, WWF shows it was back then, that I went to, um, there was a match on the card, which it wasn't televised, it was just a general house show at the NEC in Birmingham. And um, there was a match between Mabel and Bam Bam Bigelow. And I have never seen such huge individuals stood in the ring. And it was just mind-blowing. As a, as a younger kid, like whatever, I was 13, 14, just that visual of those two guys going at it was... It wasn't the greatest match. I can't believe, you know, it wasn't Angle Benoit or anything like that. But it was it was just a real sort of big guys match, which uh, just it got over with the crowd, got everyone swinging their hands. I'm not afraid to say. I was uh, singing along with Oscar and Mo that night as they stood on ringside. But uh, yeah, really, really good match. And everything I'm hearing, there's been loads of tributes uh, outside of you know, WWE. People like Mick Foley's put stuff on Facebook, and there's been various sort of things. It's, nobody has a bad word to say about the guy. No, absolutely. I mean, um, I, I was I was especially aware of Big Viss uh, mm. during the Attitude Era, and um, again, uh, just a big guy that was very agile and could actually. Well, do you remember when he used to do the rolling kick as his finish? That was a, that was a brutal looking thing. Yeah. It was um, big fan. Um, yep. Literally, I like I like the super heavyweights. Um, I think there's definitely a place in wrestling for them. It's the you know wrestling is the sideshow attraction. It's the carny thing, mm. and um, you, what's better than the freak show? And the, you know, not going the freaks, but you want to see these two behemoth guys. And um, not not a massively successful run as King Mabel. And that was around the time when WWE <laughs> or WWF back then. And, and started to go a bit stale uh, round about was 95 and people were kind of getting turned onto ECW not yeah. his fault you know not him and Diesel's fault I believe that was the final of the King of the Ring that year or, or no it was no it? no that was the the title match at SummerSlam oh, where right. um, he managed to legitimately injure uh, Diesel by just sitting on him just sat on his back he got him in like a Boston uh, a camel clutch style move then just laid him down and just kicked his legs from under him and just sat on him and it was a it was a move that i, I remember watching a, a kevin nash sort of shoot interview where nash is just like i told him not to do that before the match we talked about it as a do not drop your weight on my back because he had a history of, sort of back problems and stuff being such a tall thin guy 
But uh, yeah, that's probably the only person who would have anything bad to say about him in terms of that. Oh, um, didn't he actually? No, he didn't. He break the Undertaker's orbital bone as well with a, a mistimed move. What, and that's what uh, led to the Undertaker's Phantom of the Opera mask. Oh yes, yeah, remember that? yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd completely forgotten about that. I shall have to look up those matches. And, I, think, uh, I think we're starting to go on a bit of a negative tangent here. No, no, not at all. No, I no, did, no, no. no not at all. <laughs> Who I, did he hurt? Who did he hurt? Who did you hurt? No, but the size of the guy, I'm amazed he didn't hurt more people. Well, you know, it shows what absolutely. a good worker he was that he, you know. And, oh, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, uh, yeah uh, Nelson Fraser Jr. passed away, like I say, this this week. Um, and, you know, very young guy, uh, but, you know, big bucket of win from old Mabel. Yes, my boy, he's willing and able. What's his name? His name is Mabel. M to the A to the B E L. He gets ready at the sound of the So now it's time to kick off the geek news proper as we take a stroll through the week of geek as we do every single week here on the Milking It podcast. Uh, as always, I think we'll probably start maybe, Boo, with some casting news. Well, Dave, as everybody knows, I like to start <laughs> the geek news with a bit of casting news. Um, but first of all, an interesting one and also a correction from last week's, uh, from last uh, episode of the Milking It podcast. Ooh, did we get something wrong? Uh, well, no, not wrong. Um, it hadn't been announced yet, and I think it was my mind jumping to conclusions. Right. Remember last time we were talking about um, the casting of Oswald Cobblepot in Gotham, saying that he would be working for a um, for a gangster whose name was Fish something. And Michael like, Fish, oh, yes. We, Michael we ended... Fish, yes. Yeah. Well, it turns out that Michael Fish is actually uh, Will Smith's wife. Um, it's going to be a lady. <laughs> um, with the news this week, that, Michelle uh, Smith. <laughs> that Fish Mooney. The, ga- the, uh, the head gangster in the new TV series Gotham will be played by Jada Pinkett Smith. Wow. Okay. Also in one of the Scream movies, wasn't she? I think. Yeah, I was completely underwhelmed by this bit of news as well, Dave. Let's not. <laughs> yeah, I think that as casting news goes, yes, it's good that we've corrected ourselves. And how extremely sexist of you be to assume that a leading gangster in Gotham City would have to be male. I do apologise. No, no, that's just that's just the I, that's how I've been conditioned. I'm sorry, ladies. Correct <laughs> me. Correct me. Um, but yes, yeah, so we've got a really good outline now for who we're going to be seeing in the Gotham TV series. So Jada Pinkett Smith's going to be playing Fish Mooney, mm. with uh, but her underling will be the Penguin. Basically, I mean, imagine that. I just think I I really I know every week we've sort of mentioned any news that's come out of this TV series. Um, and it, it is a bit, you know, every single hear it, every single thing I hear about it is a proper fuck you, take my money moment. But yeah. I, I just really hope it's good. Otherwise, it's going to be the biggest letdown. Again, it's been, we've compared it to Marvel um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. where mm. there was a lot of interest and the first episode was really great. And then it just kind of petered off and petered off and petered off. It's not been, you know, it's not been great. I mean,. I am really, really looking forward to Gotham. I am hmm. really, really uh, looking forward to the Defenders miniseries, which, by the way, uh, just slipping another bit of news, they will be filming in New York this summer. Oh, really? Uh, that, yes, the Defenders series, which will be Daredevil, yep. Jessica Jones, and blah, blah, blah. Iron uh, Fist, or whatever his name was. 
nothing wrong with Iron Fist. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, in all honesty, um, I, I, I'm really looking forward to Gotham now that we see who is there. Um, and uh, I think it's about time that we get that decent TV show. As, as, as has been said, Dave and I don't watch Arrow. Uh, we don't watch um, many of the superhero TV series, but the ones that we do seem to catch always kind of disappoint. So let's hope that this... Uh, that this new wave uh, of movies is, is really going to catch on um, to the imagination because I'm, I'm really looking forward to Defender specifically, but Gotham's going to be great, great as well. David, yeah. no, definitely. Um, d- d- Batman related. Did you see those? In fact, his name's come up twice in the past week. When and I thought of you because I know you do love your casting news. Um, Michael B. Jordan has been mentioned for a couple of different uh, characters. Oh, David. One of oh, which David, one of which David. can wait a second because I know this is going to turn into a bully rant because I saw some of the no, stuff. No, it's, not, it's not a rant. It's no. not a rant. Do you think? Do you think? Okay, okay. So the, the one I know about, because it's the DC Universe, and as we know, I represent DC on the show, um, is that he has been rumoured to be cast, or is going to be cast as Cyborg. Okay, Dave new... Cyborg is a very important character to me, and I like that casting. Yes, um, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Especially if you're looking at the kind of New 52 version of the Justice League, and that could work really well, I think. Uh, no, I, I, I do as well. He's got the right look for it. And um, as I said, Cyborg's a very important character to me because he was a part of the original New Teen Titans, which is hmm. basically what got me into comic books. Um, Victor Stone's like um, a really interesting character. And to the point where he's one of the characters that kind of got pushed out the New Teen Titans, and obviously he's very mainstream now because he's in the Justice League, which is weird because when I was a kid, I didn't think he was that an important a character. With the New Teen Titans, um, it was basically a team made up of um, the, the the young version. It's like, what do they call it, Young Justice now? Where you've got yes, like the yeah. uh, younger counterparts. So you had Speedy, who was like um, Green Arrow's, like young Green Arrow, and you had Aqualad, and you had Wonder Girl, um, who was an Amazonian, like Wonder Woman. Yeah. And you had, and the leader, of course, was Robin, who would uh, eventually go on to become Nightwing. So Cyborg was kind of like um, Cyborg was one of these new characters in this team. So that that's why he always kind of faded into the into the background for me a little bit because he didn't have that adult counterpart you know robin had batman mm. um cyborg and changeling um they didn't have anybody really who was their counterpart but they were kind of the standalone characters in new teen titans so they were never that massively interesting to me but he uh, cyborg managed to push into the mainstream and i mean if he's actually going to be portrayed on screen as well i think that's huge and then um, michael b jordan's not a bad actor at all and um other than the other bit of casting news i don't have a problem with, with, with that casting at all so yeah, so his his name has been mentioned for that, but it's also been mentioned in uh, some hey, some Marvel been, news. Uh... It's not been mentioned. It's been confirmed. Oh, okay. That's, sorry, I, I, I saw that's it. The one, ah, that's the okay. Thing. That that the, those four were the confirmed actors. Right. Okay. Um, but let's let's skip over all that. Let's just let's just call <laughs> it as it is. They have cast Michael B. Jordan. Yeah. Obviously, we're talking about him playing Cyborg, who is an African American character. Mm-hmm. Check my political correctness out. Well done. It was about time. <laughs> so, uh, Cyborg is an African-American character, and yep. he played by an African-American actor, Michael B. Jordan. The other character that Michael B. Jordan's been cast at is Johnny Storm, the Human Torch. Okay. No, it's not okay, Dave. 
No, it's not. Okay. Um, what? 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 I, don't, okay. I don't have a problem with rebooting a character at all. I don't have a com- <laughs> uh, For example, like, the most obvious one being Nick Fury. Um, Nick Fury became uh, an African American character, modelled on the looks of Samuel L. Jackson. Mm-hmm. Uh, shortly, uh, shortly before the films were planned. So there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. In no, not in one universe am I aware of in comic books is there an African American Johnny Storm. Not, not, not only that, but more to the point, he's been cast alongside his sister, who will be played by a white one. I don't get why you feel the need to change a character that much. I don't. Obviously, I don't have a problem with anything. I'm, I'm like, a, I'm left wing and liberal and open to pretty much anything. But I, I just. My example was you wouldn't cast a famous black character um, with a white actor. You wouldn't have John Sharp played by Vince Vaughn. You wouldn't have Kunta Kinte played by Rob Schneider. Now, I know there's some bad examples of actors, but you, yes. you, wouldn't, you wouldn't do it. So I don't know why they feel that they should for a reboot. I'm not, I'm not like crazy mad about it because I'm not a massive Fantastic Four fan. I'm not hmm. going to go rushing out and seeing the movie. But I just feel that the, you've taken away... A, a very important character in that movie to the to the wrong actor. Um, it it doesn't matter how well he acts the part. That will always be the glaring thing is that he's not the right. Um, it's not the same character that we had in the comic books. And I, I just, it, it would another example I gave. It'd be like changing the sex of the character. It'd be like having Ellen Ripley played by Arnold Schwarzenegger. He, you know, he, he just doesn't work for me. And, um, the, the, Rip, the Ripley comparison is flawed, though, because it was it was written originally as a male character. It wouldn't have worked. Who wants to see that? that it, but it, that, that's that's what I'm saying. It's, yeah, it was it was written as a male character. They didn't change one word of dialogue and cast it as a female. And at the time, that was a bit of a oh, okay, what, why why doing that? And they had to battle for it. But you got to remember. Sorry, if we can have a proper conversation about this, you got to remember back then the only women cast in horror films like that mm-hmm. were scream queens. They were victims, and they survived by hook or by crook just at the end. Ripley was a survivor. And um, although you, although the dialogue was written for a man and originally played by a man, if that film had been... If Ripley was a man, that movie, no one would remember it today. Not one person. No, absolutely. It, it was, yeah, completely. But that's... that's you know, it, it's it. We, we will have the alien discussion at some point. Uh, I'm sure on the Milk It podcast, or maybe on uh, another podcast that I hear has uh, started up. Uh, hey, can I just use this time to plug my other podcast? Um, of course you can, sir. Why not? I, I just want to. I just want to go ahead and thank Dino Peppers uh, at eightoclockcomics.com for being a wonderful co-host. And we actually, um, through the, through the magic of our producer, Mr. David Davis. Hello. Uh, Hello, and the Milking It Multiverse. I just thank you to everyone that's downloaded and listened to the first episode of Totally Insane Tape Show. Um, it's it's been a lot of fun. Um, Dave, I miss having you in the booth, of course, but it's always uh, it's always good to to kind of spread our wings a little bit. And it's a welcome addition to the Milking It Multiverse. So, guys, if you hadn't have an opportunity, please go and download the uh, Totally Insane Tape Show uh, with myself and Mr. Dino Peppers. Um, a great accompany piece to the magical and marvellous Milking It podcast. No, completely. I, I genuinely enjoyed listening to it this afternoon. I managed to sit down and, and listen to the whole thing in, in full. Uh, it was a very very different feel to, to the Milking It podcast. It's a very different subject matter and everything else. But I'd urge anyone who who enjoys our chit-chat and banter to, to check it out. It's, it's definitely, <laughs> And I've, I've learnt of two films that I have uh, no interest in watching ever, considering the reviews that they were given. Uh, but uh, yeah, definitely, definitely check that out if you get a chance. Uh, that is, there is a link on our uh, facebook.com forward slash 
Milkingit website, and you can check that out. Uh, so, uh, so, is that your rant over, sir? Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think it was a, I don't no, think it was no, a I rant, but you, but you see where I'm coming from. So, yes, that's the news that Michael B. Jordan is being not only cast as Cyborg Victor Stone, but he will also be playing the Human Torch Johnny Storm. Let's just see how it goes before everyone goes mad. And uh, you've heard my opinion. What's your opinion, guys? Um, hit me mm. up on the uh, Milking It Facebook group. Uh, that's uh, facebook.com forward slash milking it and let us honestly know what you think about the casting of Michael B. Jordan you've heard my rant you've heard my side of the story now tell me yours definitely uh, there is another couple of bits actually uh, very quick casting news that I, I don't know whether you, you will have seen either of these because I was sort of flicking around on, online earlier today is that uh, the tenuous link to Batman uh, Tom Hardy uh, everyone's favourite Bane maybe um, is set to play the possibly play the Cray twins. Yes, that's right. He's set to play the both both twins, both non-identical twins, the Cray twins, to be played by the same person. Um, not quite sure where they're going with it. Obviously, they're not a massive surprise because he's, he's done things like Bronson, where he's quite an, an insane character. And that uh, was a really good. Sorry, I just want to say I really mm. enjoyed Bronson as a as a movie. It's it not as trippy. good as Chopper. Yeah, it's not as good as Chopper when it comes to prison movies. Uh, Mark Chopper Reed's story was just a slightly bit better uh, in terms of movies, but Bronson was a great movie, and Tom Hardy is a great actor. Yeah, a very diverse actor, completely. I, mean, I think yeah, if you can go from something like that to with his weird little voice and his... Oh, no one cared about who I was until I put the mask on. It would be most painful, David, for you. <laughs> oh, dear. I re- yes, the only reason I remember that scene particularly is because the guy that he's opposite him um, it was in both a WWE movie. Uh, I think it was. The, it might have even been the first Marine film. Uh, I think he played the bad guy opposite John Cena. Uh, but previous to that, his, his biggest work of this actor, who I really should look up and find out who it was, but uh, I'm not going to. Um, his biggest work was uh, Queer as Folk back in the day, 1995 on Channel 4, where he played Stuart. So uh, there we go. Another little milking it fact there for you, kids. Uh, Emphasis uh... on the milking it there, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I just thought that was interesting that... Um, that Tom Hardy would be playing those particular uh, individuals. Um, it's going to tie in with something else I'll probably talk about a little bit later on. Because of, when I moved to East London, that whole sort of East London thing kind of... I'm quite obsessed with it. Um, obviously, there was also there was a Cray Twins film previously that had the, the Kemp brothers in it, um, which was... It was okay. It wasn't brilliant. There were some really good little moments in there, but it was a little bit too arty for its own good. Uh, so I'd be interested to see whether they do uh, a slightly more honest portrayal of uh, those particular psychopaths. But, um, yeah, at least they love their Mars, eh? At least they love their Mars. Um, <clears throat> but, yes. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. The, the other bit... Um, that I saw, and it fits in with Geek. If, you, if you're a big fan of uh, females in tight leather battling vampires, then I'm sure you'll all be fans of Kate Beckinsale. Um, she's joined the cast of the brand new Monty Python uh, comedy, which is set now to you, happen. I have, oh, you, I have only been made aware of this Monty Python film today by yourself. It sounds crazy. Tell us about this movie. Okay, so back in um, 2012 pretty much a full year before we started doing the milking podcast um they confirmed that terry jones and the the rest of the monty python team were working um on a brand new comedy which was going to be a sci-fi comedy um so at which point i remember people being like oh these you know these old do we really want to see these old guys this is before they had announced that they were doing their comeback thing next year or this year sorry in uh, in may um 
so everyone was like, oh, do we read it? And it's like, no, 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 we're not in it. We're just doing voices and writing it. So the the Python team, um, it's going to be co-directed again by Terry Jones and Terry Gilliam. So they um, most famously co-directed Life of Brian. Um, it was more Terry Jones on Holy Grail and yeah, Gilliam did some little bits and pieces on it but yeah mainly Life of Brian which is without a doubt in my top 10 films of all time and something that I hope you uh, maybe touch upon in a future episode of your brand new podcast <laughs> have we mentioned that um, so yeah so basically they're, uh, they're writing this thing it's called Absolutely Anything um, it's a sci-fi comedy they're doing the voices for a group of aliens um, and the main uh, character in it is going to be played by Simon Pegg so that'll be interesting to see how he operates outside of his own work um, it's normally used to seeing him in things that he's written and uh, else, and also obviously brings in a sci-fi audience because of his work in the recent Star Trek movies um, so yeah so Kate Beckinsale has this week confirmed that she's going to be involved um, alongside uh, Eddie Izzard's in it uh let me get this right joanna lumley's in it who you might have seen kids if you've just watched the wolf of wall street she's very good in that um and i'm quite excited by the idea robin williams is in it mrs doubtfire himself is going to be oh uh... thank god i thought you said robbie williams (laughs) i thought you meant as in former member of take that no 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 not at all this is a robin with an n Uh, sorry because it's a british affair that could have gone either way it, it could, yes, but it, it sounds like it's um, it's it's pulling in the uh, the American dollar when they, uh, they get involved in that. I'll be honest, mm. that sounds that sounds brilliant. It does, doesn't it? it? I'm I'm genuinely excited about it. I, I'd completely forgotten they were making a brand new movie until I saw this casting news today. Because uh, I think um, Gemma Arterton was uh, originally set to play the the love interest, and uh, this is now the part that Kate Beckinsale is going to be playing. But yeah, the idea of seeing you know those guys actually doing a brand new movie is very interesting. Especially Terry Jones, great director. He's done loads of other stuff outside the Pythons. Which is... Oh, Terry Jones, absolutely fantastic director. Um, um, I, I don't know if you've seen Lost in La Manche or um, obviously Brazil, which is the most famous one. Well, it's not because that was directed by Terry Gilliam, but uh, but do carry on. It, oh, sorry, I thought you were. Talking, I thought you said Gilliam, not Jones. No, 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 Jones. I was oh, talking sorry. about. Right, yeah, they're, they're they're co-directing this latest one, but yeah, uh, Gilliam's well, work well, is in outstanding. Which case, as well. Isn't he lucky to be working with the same director? <laughs> fantastic films. I don't know if you've seen Lost in La Mancha or. Brazil, of course yes <laughs> lost in the mantra of course the documentary about a failed film um of don, don quixote which he's yeah. again uh, just last week was talking about in an interview and has resurrected it again for about the fifth Jeez, time man. as a Give project yeah Give it up. He's, there's other things to be made he's seriously seriously into the idea of uh, of doing this as a, as a, a film um it's probably something at that point I I would have given up by now. I think there's, there's been enough that's got in the way. But yeah, definitely check out that as a documentary. Very yeah, interesting. I, mean, I, I, I wasn't a huge fan of the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus. Yeah. Yeah, which was Heath Ledger's last film, of course. It was Heath Ledger's last movie. He famously died during the production of it. So they had to refilm. They, they cast his character as like three different actors and then Johnny Depp stepped in and did something and... There are a couple of different ways of doing it. Yeah, I, I, I must admit, yeah, I, I wasn't a huge fan. But um, Tideland was was a, a very bizarre one as well, but very, very worth watching uh, if you get a chance. But yeah, maybe maybe that's another thing we'll, we'll have to do 
we talked about the Trey Parker, Matt Stone stuff. Uh, we'll do a little bit on sort of the, the films surrounding the Pythons and what they've been involved in and, and that kind of stuff in a future episode. Because it'd be very interesting to, uh, to have a bit of a delve in and see, especially some of the rubbish that John Cleese has done recently. Um, but uh, that, that's even trying to forgive him for the god-awful Rat Race movie that he was in back in the day. But yes. Yeah. So yeah, so just a little bit of uh, interesting casting news. And it was nice to, to make you aware that the Pythons are back, sir, and uh, the, the comedy is on the way. Dave, the casting news isn't finished yet, my friend. Oh, hello. To crack on through. Um, just quickly, because I know that you don't... I, I, have you read the Hellblazer books, the uh, the John Constantine stories? I haven't. We, we spoke briefly about it on a previous episode because we were, we were damning the uh, Keanu Reeves movie of the... Absolutely. Well, I, I knew that it's pretty, pretty much public knowledge now that Seth Rogen um, is, is is producing these TV his TV series. Well, I believe they finally found their John Constantine, Ooh. and it's actually someone who's um, already uh, they are they are British, so it does fit the character well. And in fact, I've uh, I've been hearing this voice constantly recently because he also played Edward Kenway in uh, Assassin's Creed Four, and that is Matt Ryan. So he'll be playing John Constantine. Really looking forward to this series, um, especially the abomination that was the movie mm. so i mean um and the guy does have a very good british actor he's got a he's a british actor playing a british person though that that's usually the best place you can go for a british uh, character so definitely i'm on board with that as uh, matt ryan playing john constantine just one last bit of interest mm. um, <clears throat> this week was uh the keith sutherland uh while talking about uh the new series of 24 and his role in the new metal gear solid game um the, the phantom pain yeah. Uh, dropped the bombshell that someone asked him what he'd been working on recently, and he said, "I'm in the next Mortal Kombat, uh, doing a voice." So there will. It does sound like we're getting a new Mortal Kombat video game, and it also sounds as if one of those characters will be voiced by Keeper Sutherland, which is a bit strange because I can't figure out for the life of me who he'd be playing. Maybe Johnny Cage. Yeah, that, that, I was going to say Johnny Cage was the first one that came to mind, but that's uh, it's an interesting choice. He's, but he's got one of those sort of iconic voices, doesn't he, that uh, kind of fits in with that kind of character, I suppose. But, I mean, he is now playing uh, Solid Snake, so uh, well, I haven't, I don't know which which version of Snake you play as in yeah. the new Metal Actually, I'm, I'm, this might may go over your head, Dave. I'm not sure whether he's playing the big boss version of Snake, whether he's playing uh, or, or he's playing Solid. It's a it's a rich and varied tapestry uh, in, of of, of storyline in Metal Gear games. It's, it's kind of a character like Snake is an obvious choice for Keeper Sutherland, but literally, apart from Johnny Cage, I can't really think of anyone else he would be playing in the game, unless they're giving a voice to Reptile or maybe one of the ninjas. Mm. Um, finally, maybe making a bit more of an in-depth story. I know recently with the big with all the reboots, I don't know whether you saw the there was a series. I think we might have touched on it. Uh, on the Facebook page, maybe not on the show, but there was a, a web show, series two of the web show made uh, by a fan of Mortal Kombat, but it actually stars um, the original uh, Shang Tsung from the TV series, uh, reprising the role. Yes, yeah, I, I, I think we might have mentioned it briefly on it, because I've seen some bits of the first lot that they did, but I haven't caught up with any of the new bits, but it, it was amazingly well done and got everyone excited about the idea of a sort of dark Mortal Kombat movie that was well made, as opposed to uh, some of the atrocious stuff that came out previously. But, it was at the time, that was what films in the 90s were like. They were these big, overblown, kiddified productions, you know, Mario mm, Brothers. True. You know, that, that is what they were like at the time, but now they look ridiculous. Um but, but but regardless, so Kiefer Sutherland uh, is, will be in the new Mortal Kombat. 
fly me to the moon and let me play among the stars. Jay's taking a little bit of a different turn this week and he's going to review Frank Sinatra's classic. Oh, oh what? Oh no, it's a game. Oh shit. Right, I'm going to come straight out and say this. I don't play a lot of PC games, partly because my food-encrusted laptop is so old Amish people would be okay using it, and partly because there are a small but very loud subsection of PC owners who are aloof twats. You know the type. The type who use the term gaming rig and describe console owners as peasants. Enjoy your ivory tower, fellas. I'm sure you'll get rid of the smell of Finder's ready meals and new porn if you use enough Febreze. No, I'm perfectly happy with having graphically inferior versions of big-name games if it doesn't mean having to draw websites for new graphics cards with catchy names made out of randomly placed digits every couple of months. Something that the PC does have, however, over its console counterparts that I can't possibly snark about is the excellent Steam. For value for money, a variety of excellent games... Steam is the swinging dick of downloadable content servers, rightly pointing at the underdeveloped groin-mounted acorns of PSN and Xbox Live and laughing. As for Nintendo's digital shop, see Walter Peck or a girl. A nice little obscure gem on Steam is To The Moon. And guess what? It actually runs on my Jesus-era computer. To the Moon was made by independent one-man game maker Kian Reeves Gao using the RPG maker XP Designer. A thing I didn't even know existed, but sounds incredibly brilliant if it wasn't for me being so terribly lazy. If anyone fancies making a milking it RPG using the RPG maker, I'm sure David Boo and I will happily change sex just to lactate in your mouths as a reward. If you can make my fantastical weapon bigger than the others, I would definitely buy you at least three packets of Percy Pigs. Also, could you sneak a bit in where Boo gets gang-bummed by chickens, like that bit in Zelda A Link to the Past? That'd be lovely. As a result of using the RPG Maker, To The Moon looks like a Square Enix Super Nintendo RPG. However, it forgoes the emo teen hero hitting huge creatures with big swords for what is quite simply the most inventive, beautifully written, affecting story in video game history. Seriously, I won't reveal too much, but let's moisten your appetite with the initial premise, Mr. Fatty Boom Boom. The game starts off with two doctors trying to alter the memories of an ailing old man called Johnny Wiles. Johnny Wiles wishes his dying thoughts to be of himself as a young man travelling to the moon. Anyone who has seen Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind will feel at home here, as the doctors explore Johnny's neighbourhood finding mementos and interviewing his family and friends piece together a cohesive faux memory. The man's past is slowly uncovered in non-sequential patches by the two doctors who step into the old geezer's consciousness witnessing a once-in-a-lifetime doomed romance, tragedy and even tricky subjects like mental illness and suicide. Your perception of Mr Wiles will change several times throughout the story's four to five hour running time based on the information given to you. With some genuinely gut-punched twists and some tear-jerking revelations. The huge depth of characterization of each of the protagonists are belied by the 16-bit style graphics, and even the musical score is a piece of delicate piano beauty. It's as adult as mature games get, and there's not a gruff as wolfhound arsehole Marcus Phoenix or a pair of digitised tits to be seen anywhere. 
His story stands up there with any great TV show, book or movie I've ever enjoyed, and perhaps this game will be an encouraging sign to a different avenue for any budding directors or writers to tell their incredible stories. What a great arena for imaginations to run wild, unbridled by budgets and nosy producers, and what a beautiful game this is too. If you don't cry at the end, you simply have no tear ducts or must be made from some sort of emotionless corned beef. Or maybe you're a link stinking old aloof PC grumbleweed. The arbitrary score is a max manimal 5 thumb marks out of 5, kitty cat. Now go. By uh, yourself and Mr. J. Hodgkin. Mm. I'm de- desperate to see the Lego movie now, but it, it appears that it's already doing so well, they've already announced that one day shy of my birthday, that's May 26th, 2017, oh, we'll see the release selfless of the Lego plug. movie 2. Yes, I don't, I don't think it, it would be a massive surprise that they're going to do a second one because it has been such a success worldwide. It's. Um, uh, yeah, just it looks. I still, I still haven't got a chance to go and see it. Like I said, I've, I've clocked the game finally, so I, I know the storyline. I know what's going to happen. And there's, like I was saying uh, last week, there's a huge chunk of footage in there from the film, so I can't imagine. Uh, I can't imagine there's a, there's a lot of stuff that I don't know that has happened. But uh, yeah, very funny, very in jokey, very cool. Um, in fact, there was a, another bit of uh, related news, um, which was that uh, the producers of that Lego movie have been linked to another movie based on a uh, massively successful global franchise uh, in Minecraft. Apparently making a Minecraft... Then again, a few years ago, if you said they're making a Lego movie, I'd say to you, how do you make a movie out of Lego? (laughs) No, no, how do you make a movie out of Lego? So the same question is, how do you make a movie out of Minecraft? I I like the idea. If you go way, way back in time for the very first episode of the Milking It podcast... You can hear me and Dave talk about um, Minecraft. Mm. And we did actually describe it as just Legos for the new generation. Lego, not Legos. Legos. Lego. <laughs> We're there Lego. again. Um, <laughs> but we did this kind of describe it as a new version of Legos for the, <laughs> you know, the new generation. I can't help it, Dave. Um, and so now it's getting its own film. If they make it half as good as the Lego movie appears to be, then I'm well on board. Yes, definitely. I, I think, you know, as long as they they kind of keep that tongue-in-cheek humor and they keep it fun because i think that that's what's appealed so far about the lego movie with people um is it's it's difficult because you're using different characters from different franchises and everything else but ultimately it's it's what would happen in your bedroom as a kid when you're playing you know batman does interact very happily with characters from the hobbit or whatever other bits and pieces you've got there but uh, yeah it'd be be interesting to see that did you see the pictures of the um and it's not lego so you can't call it lego do you see the pictures from toy fair of the the wwe's um building sets stack down is it called yeah stack Stack down Down. Mm. um what was going on with the picture of um it's a picture of the now sadly deceased Paul Bearer yes. coming out of a coffin uh, in a dungeon yeah. setting. And, but did you notice that Damon, Damien Sandow was kind of like their sex uh, slave? He was kind there of was just a, Yeah, there was a, something a bit gimpy about him in that particular was picture, wasn't it? A man in nothing but pink trunks being tied up by The Undertaker and Paul Bearer. Oh, yeah! <laughs> 
but no, the, the sets look quite good fun, though. I think if I, you know, if I was sort of six or seven, I'd think those were pretty the amazing. Sets, did you say? <laughs> I didn't see any video. I just... <laughs> oh, what a grim threesome that would be. Um, so... <laughs> That's completely thrown me. Thank you for that one. Um, the sta- no, no, no. The, the stack down toys looked very odd. Mm. Did you have to catapult John Cena at the belt that's hanging above the ring? And it's kind of like lots of lots of moving parts. Yeah. You know, not just the Paul Bearer one, but um, lots of moving parts and it kind of build these things together. Lots of different characters, and of course, the Daniel Bryan, Brian Danielson, Daniel Daniel Bryan, Bryan you mark. Thank you. Um, <laughs> toy with the, with the beard I, looks fantastic so, yes uh... yeah definitely definitely it did it, it looked good fun and there was there's some good interesting characters there and stuff i mean normally the the sort of uh it, that was at the new york toy fair yes uh, a couple of weeks back that there was just some pictures there is a, a link on our facebook site to it but there was some good stuff at the toy fair generally i thought i mean we we kind of touched upon a little bit of it on the the uh, facebook page but uh definitely check it out some of the dc stuff that's coming uh over all the next right few now, weeks. just before we leave just before we get off this subject i mm. think i mentioned this to you last week but we but one of the highlights for me was the dc uh batman animated series fully articulated figure of batman done in the 90s animated style which was beautiful yes definitely and some of the other stuff that came out of the toy fair just some highlights with the uh, new transformers figures looked kind of cool mm. uh the simpsons guest star series oh absolutely I, I, again i think i've I commented on this online but the um i've i definitely want the mark hamill one that looks amazing basically for those that aren't on the facebook page facebook.com forward slash milking it get on um, it it, the the, uh, the newest line of Simpsons toys, uh, toys, figures, <laughs> collectibles. Um, it's all of the famous, uh, the most famous guest stars. Uh, well, it's it's twenty five. Yeah, it's twenty five stars from twenty five years. So uh, yeah. you know, we're talking Britney Spears. You can keep that. We're James, James Brown. Brown. Yeah, I'll get that. Uh, Mark Hamill, Tom Hanks, which I'd get that. I you think know, the uh, Who were pictured as well, weren't they? The Who were yeah. pictured from that famous episode. Uh, mm. You remember that one day? Oh, I certainly do. Yes, it's very, very good. There's that, but yeah, they do look really, really good. They've captured the the likenesses very well, and I think the the only celebrity they'd previously done when they did those um, toys that we spoke about a few episodes ago wasn't. Didn't they do a Stephen Hawking one? They did do an official Stephen Hawking ones from the Playmates. Uh, yes, set. yeah. There you go. We know oh, our see. collectibles. Um, so that, but but for me, I just I it's something that I've probably never even mentioned on this, but I was a massive fan of the Last Planet of the Apes movie, the reboot, the uh, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, mm-hmm. really um, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, even I think it was called, really really awesome movie where they've just unveiled the first action figures from the new Planet of the Apes movie, and uh, the tra- if you guys haven't seen the trailer for the new Planet of the Apes movie, check it out now. Definitely. If you haven't yeah. seen the last Planet of the Apes movie, check it out now because these movies are something else I mean the character of Caesar is slowly becoming one of the most powerful characters in cinema history for me um, just fantastic so I mean that, that New York uh, toy fair was was really awesome and just on a last note obviously um, we've already touched on in the show um, is that uh, Lego um, posted a picture of the Egon Lego uh, action figure mm-hmm. and the other day with, uh, with Rest in Peace so that le- um, it's with a heavy heart that we we, we say goodbye to Howard Ramis, but um, he will live on in Lego form. Uh, and I think it's a very classy move 
by Lego to do that. Yeah, it was a very sweet thing. I, in fact, I meant to mention actually, when we were talking about the Lego movie, um, there was another sort of, again, it's a tenuous link, but we're, we're not against those on the Milk King podcast, um, is that the animation supervisor, whose name escapes me until I Google it, there we go, uh, Chris McKay is his name, um, he was the animation supervisor on the Lego movie. Um, he also used to be uh, one of the animators on the, the much maligned and uh, much disrespected by me, but then realised how good it is, uh, Robot Chicken series, which I know Boo was a big fan of. Um, I'm still a big fan of. Uh, new series coming this year, guys. That's oh. Series, oh, Jesus, Series 6, I think. Wow. Okay, well, he's been linked to another film, a film which the Milking of Podcasts could be a little bit excited about. Uh, he has been linked to the brand new Masters of the Universe movie. What? <laughs> yes, so imagine giving a directing job to someone who understands the characters because they've spent lots of time animating them as part of the Robot Chicken movie. <laughs> it's very much it's true. Uh, there are a lot of He-Man skits in the uh, in, mm. in Robot Chicken, and and the thing about Robot Chicken again, if you guys haven't checked it out, is it's the fact that it's done with love. They obviously understand every character they yes. muck around with, and um, they've obviously got an affinity for it. And I mean, it is just such a well done show. Check that out. Check out the He Man skits, and then cross your fingers that he keeps that job, because um, if that is the case, I'm definitely on board for a new Master of the Universe film, and it's about mm. time as well. Absolutely. If anything deserves a reboot, it's that. And uh, if anything would get me complaining about a reboot, it's that, because I'm sure there'll be things in it that I don't agree with, but uh, be very interesting. But from Masters of the Universe, wait for it, let's go to Guardians of the Galaxy. Well, David, uh, <laughs> absolutely rigid with excitement uh, after seeing that trailer. Hey, Taunt and it. buoyant, sir. Taunt and buoyant. No, I, I, I thought, yeah. one, um, it was great to see um, Peter Serafinowicz mm. um, in such a predominant role it, it's kind of like watching that trailer was like kind of watching my life all come together because you had your comedy you had my, the comedy part of my life which was Peter Serafinowicz you had um, the comedy part of my life which was the general feel for it you had the action part the comic book part and then of course Dave Bautista playing Drax it's like everything I've ever done in my life cannonballed into one motion and that is Guardians of the Galaxy. I, I cannot wait. My kind of comedy, my kind of actors, my kind of characters, my kind of setting. It just, oh, I cannot wait, Dave. I cannot wait. I, I had a discussion slash argument about it with um, a close personal friend of mine the other night when we watched the trailer. And he was complaining that it, he didn't agree with the fact that they'd done a movie of characters that people weren't that aware of. He didn't understand why it was there. But I think... Def- uh, I, I don't know the character. <laughs> no, completely. But even I'm not particularly aware of them as characters. I don't. I've never read a single one of the comic books that they were involved in. I've never seen them in any other sort of form media. But I'm. St- I, I still watched that trailer and thought, do you know what? I could deal with a movie like that. It seems tongue in cheek. It seems funny. A little bit rude, but just seems like a, a bit more of an adult kind of. I think, I think the most important- superhero movie. I think the most important thing is a lot. You're, you're right. A lot of people aren't going to be aware of the characters. But I think I sent you a link to a, kind of a breakdown of who's who and that kind of thing. You did, yes. I think I think one of the most important things we can take away from this is that the the green lady um, is the daughter of Thanos, who was seen as the big bad at the end of Avengers One. Um, there's just so much to tie in with it. Uh, that ties into other Marvel stuff that it is going to become a very important part of the of the Marvel movies. Um, 
just quickly while we're here, hmm. did you see that they'd announced a lot of the Marvel Phase Three, or they said what was going to be the Marvel Phase Three movies? I think we might have touched that a tad last. We did, week. yeah. We we spoke about that last week in but, terms um, of what they've announced. The latest and, yeah. bit of news I've heard is Johnny Depp is not in line to play Doctor Strange, even though we'd said. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was going to say there's been a couple of reports along the way that uh, said that he he would be up for it. Um, it, It's just one of those rumours. I actually read uh, an interview with Kevin Feige, who's basically the head of Marvel Hmm. uh, Pictures, and he said that they are seeing people, but uh, and as much as they'd love to have Johnny, Johnny's not one of the people they're seeing. I was going to say I'm sure because I I read I think I read the same article. Do you? you're mentioning because he mentions the fact that for him doctor strange is his favorite marvel character he does he says yeah. it's his dream yeah. project yeah but no there's there's been quite a few people mentioned as well because we, we originally said because literally probably four or five weeks ago the the big rumor going around the the the, the rumor mill as if that exists but uh the, the big one going around was that yeah obviously burton was on board and he was excited about doing it and you know that would mean that johnny depp had come on board and he'd be doing bits and pieces in it and now yeah it, it seems as if no, neither of those names are uh, are even being spoken about. Hey, but uh, that rumor mill. Mm. Do you reckon they make like rumor flour to make rumor bread with? Yes. Excellent. <laughs> I'll have a slice of the. I'll have a slice of rumor toast to go with my Johnny Depp casting news, please. I think every um, week the Milking It podcast serves up a number of slices of rumor toasts. So. <laughs> <laughs> check oh, check out. Banter. Check out our buns. Um, Check out our buns. Yes, um, <laughs> that was that was quite interesting. In fact, talking of superhero movies, another little uh, side note was that um, they've announced that the new Captain America movie. Not particularly excited about that. Wasn't a huge fan of the first one. No. Oh, Win- Winter Soldier is an important story in Captain America's life. I, I'm, look, I, I'm going to break off from you here, Dave. I am looking forward to Winter Soldier. That's okay. That's that's why we do a podcast together because we have oh, different views. Uh, otherwise, it'd just be me talking in a room. Uh, but no, I, I, it was only because I, I just wasn't a massive fan of the first one. Uh, it was a bit sort of jingoistic and. Uh, a bit, no, yeah. no, no! It was. You're absolutely right. It was one of the weaker movies in the mm. Marvel Phase One. Um, but, but if if you go to see Captain America: uh, The Winter Soldier, which I believe comes out at the end of March, uh, before it you will see the first trailer for Michael Bay's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, Heroes in a mother bleeping half shell. <laughs> Get those mother bleeping turtles off my mother bleeping screen. Um, no, about I've... this before, Dave. I cannot mm. wait for the new Turtles movie. Mm. One of the guys, the, the the guy who's playing Shredder, who again, oh man, his name escapes me. Uh, but the guy who's playing Shredder um, in the the brand new one, excuse me, has um, has actually said that it, it's a much darker movie but it's a very sort of freaky cool movie uh, it's like a, a tough fighting film as well so it, it sounds like they've, they've they've kind of moved across from the sort of bouncy cartoony feel of the the cartoon series off of the 90s and uh, we're now hurtling towards what can only be described as a very interesting film which i i genuinely can't wait to see the trailer for that i think it'd be very interesting we're actually taking we're actually taking a step back in time because um the, the, the cartoon from the 90s is what started the Happy Dappy Turtle movement. Mm. Um, and I mean, everything before that was very dark. Like, very dark. The comic books were very dark when, you know, people were getting killed, and I mean killed like, horribly. And I think what they've gone for with this new film is middle ground. Yeah. They've gone yeah. for a kind of bright, colourful 90s look, 
but with the gritty kind of dark overtones of the comic book and from what I've seen so far I'm really looking forward to it I think the turtles look very different but I like how they look um, they've all got an individual thing about them Leonardo is a samurai Michelangelo is the urban um, is uh, sorry the, the party dude still he's kind of the laid back guy Donatello's the genius and you've got Raphael who's kind of like an urban vigilante in this new movie mm. which is how he was in the original comics was he not he was. He was actually... He was the he was sort of lone wolf. He, in the original stories, uh, Raphael was actually separated off from the other three when they were yeah. being mutated. That's why he's got like that loner sensibilities. But, I mean, I, I'm really looking forward to the new film. And plus, after the rumour of... Uh, <laughs> Once again on the Milking It podcast. <laughs> yes, very much um, so. Yeah, no, I can't, I can't wait. It can't come quick enough and... Um, I mean, obviously, due to the magic of the internet, it, you will be able to see that trailer as soon as it hits the cinemas. Of course. Um, yeah. But um, if you are going to see uh, Cap America 2, you are going to be in for a treat. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm genuinely very excited about seeing that. Um... Oh, while we're, while we're, sorry, while we're still kind of on the Marvel kick, um, last week we, they, we, we addressed the rumour that the uh, there may be a... a a Black Widow spin-off movie, and I kind of <laughs> shat all over it, you know, because they're the weakest characters. And of that course, was just on a side note. That was one of the hardest boo rants to edit down to an acceptable length. There is a good. And one day, if we ever fall out and have our sort of Paul McCartney, John Lennon moment of not speaking, I will post the uh, the full conversation that Boo and I had about it, where we accuse each other of uh, some quite dreadful things. <laughs> <laughs> Regardless, and, and as great as Dave is, um, <laughs> they, they have actually announced that he's more than likely that they're going to do a Black Widow spin-off movie. Hmm. Um, strengthen the character up for Avengers 2, and I'm on board. Do it before, and you can just fuck off. Um, <laughs> no, that's no, I'm, I'm not. Um, I actually had a, a fellow milkster um, come and tell me that the reason that the characters were so weak from a male point of view is because the characters of Black Widow and uh, Hawkeye hmm. but in um, for the fangirls basically and they're about you know you've got to have a, like, a love interest thing in there and that was what was meant to be that and that was actually designed for the for the female fan the Black Widow bits and um, if that's the case fine I'm glad I didn't pick up on it because that obviously proves I've got too much testosterone um, but but you know they're announcing everyone's getting their own movie just give us a fucking decent standalone Hulk film first, please. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's a hard. Thing. It seems to be a really hard character to get right in a film setting. I don't. I don't know why. You know, the, the, both the previous ones. The last one was okay, but you know, I, I liked the character within the Avengers. I thought that worked really well, and it'd be interesting well, yeah, to see Ruffalo them use did that. A good job, yeah, especially definitely. since he was kind of recruited out of left field as well because it was his first. His first movie was the Avengers. Yeah, completely. Which it worked. Wasn't he a stand-up before that? I might be completely wrong, but I'm sure he did stand-up comedy. You're. Uh, you might be right, or you might be thinking of the person that played the first Hulk, Eric Banner, because Eric Banner was a stand-up comedian before he went on to play most famously Mark Chopper Reed, and then. Uh, oh, the look at this! It's going full circle. <laughs> I know. That that was the 
That wasn't the Ang Lee one, was it? That was the one before, or was Eric Banner the Ang Lee movie? Uh, Eric Banner was the first one. First one, okay. That's fine. Yeah, I just, so the there we go. One. Hulk talk on the Milky Podcast, kids. Um, um, while we're, sorry, while we're, so, while we're in the realms of the sorry, while we're in the realms of the green, um, I just wanted to, to quickly pick your brain about the reveal this week from the Amazing Spider-Man Two. Do you know what? I haven't seen anything about that film, and it, it seems to be right up my straza as it seems to be incredibly focused on villains from everything i've been reading but no i didn't see what was the reveal this week uh the reveal was that yes indeed the green goblin is back um he looks he looks very bizarre he looks like uh the judder man uh had sex with um orville and uh, that that is a that is a stretch reference at best. That is a um, very st- yeah. If anyone doesn't know, especially our international milksters, about the Judder Man, it was or, uh, or, or Orville or Orville. Trump. Sorry, yes, the Judder Man has a tie-in, and anyone who's in the US will know uh, about this as well as the UK um, because well, Julian Barrett from the Mighty Boosh played the barman in an advertisement that talked about the Judder Man, which referenced the... It was for Smirnoff Ice and referenced the style, the German expressionist style of the Sonambulist oh. or the oh, yeah. uh, Cabinet of uh, das, Dr. Cal- uh, uh, Caligari. Yes. So, yeah, it all ties in. Um, uh, we'll put a YouTube link on it because it's one of the weirdest little creepiest adverts you'll see in a long, it, long time. It is, it's something that just stuck in my head from childhood. But anyway, mm. yes. It's uh, called... I was going to say Klaus Kinski, but it's not, is it? It's um, it's yeah. not. I oh, Jesus, it's, it's I studied this. Why do I not? It's pre Klaus Kinski. It's yeah, yeah. It's uh, the, the the cabinet of Doctor um, Doctor Caligari. Good call, Dave. Which oh, which was a, a massive influence on uh, Tim Burton and all those kind of uh, things Absolutely. that came afterwards. And again, I, I would I would challenge both yourself and uh, Mr. Dino Peppers to watch and review. The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, or The Sonambulist, as it's known, because uh, it is a genuinely a, a still a film that, despite the fact was filmed, oh Christ, probably close to 100 years ago, um, was uh, still stands up as a, as a watch. You Sorry, can still I'm, watch it and enjoy it. This is far too interesting. I've got to, I've got to go off on a tangent here. The other day I was uh, lucky enough to watch a documentary called Horror Europa with Mark Gattis from The League oh. of Gentlemen. And he actually, um, in depth, talked about some of these earlier horror films and The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari came up um, Cabinet of Dr. Uh, Caligari was 1920, so we're talking about a 1920 German silent horror film on the Milking It podcast. If you don't think we've got our finger 90, on the pulse... 96, <laughs> 96 year old film! has <laughs> just been discussed on the Milking It podcast, but I, can, I cannot urge you enough to go and see that film. It's absolutely Anyway, what were we amazing. talking about? The Green Goblin! Oh yes, yes sorry, the Green yes. The Goblin! Has been announced in Spider-Man. So alongside mm. the Rhino and Electro, yep. this is blatantly heading for a Sinister Six movie, isn't it? Of course, yeah. I mean, they they hinted at it in the in the last trailer where they showed the Vultures stuff and Doc Ock and like, sort of hidden in the background. And uh, yeah, it does look very good, very exciting. But uh, yeah, um, like I say, it, it's not something that means a lot to me in terms of uh, being a Marvel film. But I, and I still haven't got around to watching that bloody first one of the amazing spider-man reboot mainly because i've been too busy watching 1920s german silent horror films but uh, yeah definitely very good but no, no you were just talking about um a mark gatiss documentary which i think i've caught a bit of before now 
Was uh, it... There was two. There was Mark Gatiss on Horror, where he went around the world. So he that's the to, one I saw. Yes. So he would go to to the, to the place that was Monroeville, and he would go mm. to the to the shopping centre where Dawn of the Dead was filmed, and he talked about Dawn of the Dead. This spin-off one it was a one-off hour and a half um, documentary horror Europa. Uh, it basically focused on European horror, so we're talking Spain, France, Italy, and the UK specifically. Oh, okay. And um, there was a Belgian vampire film set in a hotel which i had never even heard of before um it's about a lady vampire and her companion and they they meet this couple and it just it was just it just oozed style and quality and i mean this 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 documentary was fantastic mark gattis obviously is a huge horror fan and he's from my end north london north london bruv sorry just on a side note they're all really nice guys as well the league of gentlemen guys Hmm. i uh Myself and my ex-partner, we were very lucky. Um, we got to sit uh, in front of the League of Gentlemen during the premiere of the League of Gentlemen movie, and she kept on going like, what do you think of the movie? And I was going, don't say a thing, they're behind us. <laughs> Shut, <everything>. up. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Talking of which, and again, it's a, another little milking it tangent. Have you seen the new series Inside Number 9? No, and, and oh. yourself and the other man, oh. and, and the third uh, the third Beetle. The third well. wheel, the, uh, no, Pete Best. Uh, uh, yes, um, Mr. J. Hodgkin is a mm. huge fan, and it's. I really enjoyed Psychoville. Maybe oh. not as much. In fact, as recently as two days ago, I uh, while I like to have something on in the background while I'm writing and preparing for various things, and including this podcast, and I managed to break off the entire series of the League of Gentlemen, all three series plus the Christmas special. Yep. If you're a fan of horror, the Christmas special as a standalone is oh, one of the most perfect. amazing things yeah. made in this country for years. It basically emulates all the 1970s um, kind of uh, hammer horrors. Um, oh, it's just brilliant. Highly recommend anything from you, gentlemen. Tell me about this Inside Number Nine, Dave, because uh, people have been ranting about it, and I haven't had a chance yet. Um, it's uh, Steve Pemberton and Reese Shearsmith, so it's not all of the league, but um, it's those two involved in it. Um, they've written a series of six standalone sort of almost in the style of play for today or back in the day where they used to do like individual uh, sitcom pilots almost and those things would be turned into series but they're individual half hour standalone things and every single one is set inside a building that is number nine so whether it's number nine in a terrace or there's one that was set in a flat which is the number nine flat and so every single one of them goes inside number nine um they are all done in very different styles. Uh, do you remember the Psychoville episode that was um, based on The Rope, the uh, Alfred Hitchcock film? So it's all filmed within like one room. Yes. Like, they, they did the actual show. The Psychoville show was filmed in two takes with a very, very clever cut in it. But um, the, do you yeah. remember the Halloween? Sorry, do you remember the Halloween special that was a segue between series one and two? Yes. Oh, sorry. These boys. For those for the internationals that don't know, the League of Gentlemen, or as we refer to them, that's not their official name, but it's four comedy writers who team up mm. together and they also act in their own stuff. I'm not sure how popular it was in other countries, but um, they <laughs> it, did, it very, did very well in the states. Oh, okay. Well, it's very surreal comedy, um, but very well written and with massive amount. You can tell that they're huge fans of various bits of horror and psychological thrillers, and uh, and, and kind of classic stuff. Um, well, so is it, yeah. So this this new series that they've done, um, like so, for example, each one has a different style to it. So the first episode was filmed in pretty much entirely inside a wardrobe, which is this family who are playing sardines, and so gradually these different characters come into the wardrobe and they have to sort of all cram together. And it 
breaks out. The ending, which I'm not going to spoil because we've said before, oh, spoiler-free zone, is wonderful. Just a perfect moment. Dave, um, it's not a spoiler-free zone. I want to watch it and I don't want you to spoil it for me. No, no, absolutely. <laughs> um, the, the, the second one was, I think it was either the second or the third, was an entirely silent episode. So it was all very physical comedy or just... Oh, wonderfully done! I, I I cannot recommend it enough, sir. And I know of all the people that I know that you would oh, you would properly enjoy it. First episode, as soon as this show's done, the the, the coffee is coming out and the, and the show is going on. Yep. So there you go, Milsters. Inside number nine. That's my uh, my tip for anyone who's interested in that kind of stuff. It's very very good. In fact, I can't believe we hadn't mentioned it before. It's been yeah. on for sort of four weeks now. But uh, yeah, certainly. Uh, well, certainly we're, well, we're Here's a tenuous link. While we're talking about a television show, yes. um, another television show, which has just been announced uh, that they're going to be making a movie of, uh, ended a few years ago. What I, I used to describe this show as Muppets in Space. It is, in fact, a Farscape movie coming hmm. out uh, next year. Yeah, it was a, 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 I think that I remember watching back in the day. I don't think I could name any character or any situation. I remember something uh, that looked John a bit Clinton like an owl. Son are the two main characters that are returning so far. Ah, uh, okay. Oh? But yeah, I think it was probably around 2000, 2001. Um, it was, it was, um, I remember watching yeah. it, yeah. I remember it being, it was quite a thing when I used to go to like, this is going to make me sound incredibly such a catch but um yeah when i used to go to sort of memorabilia fairs and sort of comic-con things and stuff like that it was always the thing that you could get like the complete series on vhs or there was some very basic toy range uh, collectibles range that they did for it <laughs> uh it was always like about a three-page spread in um when forbidden planet used to do the catalog that you could go and pick up uh, it was always one of those that uh, that was. Uh, they definitely did a lot of bits and pieces around the same sort of time as Buffy and Angel and all that kind of thing. But uh, yeah, so interesting Henson sci-fi series, which uh, definitely definitely oh, had a cult following. Henson, yes, hmm. yes. Well, we'll see what happens to the company. I mean, it's owned by Disney now, so I'm wondering. Mm. Is, it, is the Henson Company owned by Disney, or is it the Muppet license? The Henson Company is. Is, is the Henson Company yeah. is owned? Well, so they'll be making so this Farscape movie, mm-hmm. as far as I'm aware, uh, would be because it was the Henson Company that did the puppetry in the original TV series, wasn't it? It was. It, it, it was developed by Henson um, as a series. So yeah, they, uh, as far as I know, it was their baby. In which case, they've got a huge amount of backing going into this. This could potentially be the reboot of reboot. This could be. This is what one of the commentators that I was reading on a, a little bit about it the other day was saying. This, this has a potential for being a sort of Star Wars level of interest because obviously Disney also own Star Wars, as we discussed before. If you guys uh, download the, the the latest and uh, in fact only episode of the Totally Insane Tape Show, which mm. is available now on iTunes and Jellycast, um, you can hear me talking about that briefly. Oh, well, uh, get, this 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 new they, podcast they of yours is. This... They own my childhood. Disney does. Um, Star Wars. They've got that. You know, Marvel. They've got that. Ulamont Life Story. They've got that. <laughs> indeed, indeed. They're not doing too badly for themselves, are they? Let's face it. So this week, Jay's been digging deeper than the Sarlacc pit of Calcoon on Tatooine, looking for real stories, real backstory bollocks. So please join us for part one of a two-part special as Jay Hodgkins checks out the backstory non-bollocks of the Star Wars secondary characters. Well, gentlemen and ladies, 
It's a backstory bollocks special. It's a backstory not bollocks of Star Wars. It's been said that sometimes truth is stranger than fiction. Well, that's nonsense. Sharp whoever said that, you didn't call pants. An octopus may be strange, sure, but an octopus wearing a Norwich City football shirt, playing the theme from St Elmo's Fire on a Cats and Clavier cat piano, or helicopter spinning up into the nostril of a planet-sized Jeremy Clarkson head, that's surely more ridiculous than just a standard octopus. Now, the official canon backstories to characters can be stranger than fiction. I can come up with some bollocks for Star Wars, but Star Wars has come up with more bollocks than I could ever imagine. And here's me to tell you why. There are some really bizarre unseen pasts in the Star Wars universe that are fully authorised by Lucasfilm. And that, dear Philomena, is what we're discussing today. Yes, I'm sitting around with the format again, but this is only a one-off, I assure you. Do you know why? Because I'm better than you. I've had a Jim will paint it suggestion done. If you want to look it up, it's the one with Bebop from Turtles, Dean Gaffney and Rene from Alo in it. So go on, have a look, look it up. So, let's take a look at the top ten strangest Star Wars character backstories that are 100% genuine, shall we? Now, we're going to split this into two parts to prevent your mind being blown by all these intricate nerd truths. I hate cleaning up brain matter. Most of these characters are blink and you'll miss them scenery and clothes and weird makeup. But you can be sure that they'll have a ridiculously convoluted story because the Star Wars universe is crazy nerdy. I'll even provide a link to the Wikipedia pages on the Milking It Facebook page to prove that, for once, I'm not making this shit up. Someone else is. Number 10, IG-88A. IG-88A was one of the bounty hunters recruited by Darth Vader to track down the rebels during The Empire Strikes Back. If you're looking for him in that scene and aren't familiar with Star Wars, he's the guy who looks like Peter Crouch, but dressed from head to toe in tin cans. His weird story consists of planning to start a droid revolution with his three brothers, IG-88B, IG-88C, and, uh, uh, can you guess... IG-88-D. The droid revolution apparently consists of killing anything that isn't a droid, which is great when you consider it would take out One Direction and their toothbraced fans, but not so great when you realise all your friends and family would cark it too. Apart from your flatmate Terry, who is essentially an emotionless computer interface robot, whose programming doesn't include washing up or ever having sex with girls. Now, IG-88A soon finds out that a droid revolution is going to be bloody tricky with only four robots, and soon finds it even harder when his three brothers die at the hands of Boba Vett and Han Solo. So IG-88A decides the best course of action is to transfer his personality into the second Death Star. Which is a great idea. Sure, you're putting a few million tons around the middle, but that shit can blow up planets! Perfect stuff. Well, that is until seconds after the mind transfer when Landau Carizian blows up the second Death Star during the events of Return of the Jedi. Oh well, it's that black fly in your Chardonnay, dear IG. It's that death row pardon two minutes too late. It may not be ironic, Alanis, but it's a bloody bastard turn of events. Number nine. 
R5-D4. There's nothing more noble than a movie sacrifice, is there? Remember Bruce Willis in Armageddon? Spock in Wrath of Khan? Christopher Eccleston absorbing that magic from Monkey Face's mouth in Doctor Who. Most of the protagonists in Sin City. All stirring acts of greater good daring do. Even bloody Darth Vader himself took a fatal bolt of Porridge Face's electro juice and the mechanical moor in order to prevent animated versions of the Joker having shitty voice acting for F's sake. But there's a heroic sacrificial act during A New Hope that is intrinsic to the whole plot to overthrow the Empire. And the Rebellion didn't even know anything about it. How noble is that? The true measure of a hero is when a man lays his life down with the knowledge that those he saves will never know. Even more surprising is even though you, the viewer, watch it happen during the movie, you didn't even notice that it was an act of self-sacrifice. Remember that scene where Uncle Owen selects an astromech droid that promptly fizzles out and fails before getting R2-D2 instead? That, my friends, is R5-D4, aka Skippy the Droid, an unsung hero. You see, he didn't fail. He blew himself up. You see, without R5-D4, Luke would never have got Leia's message from R2, meaning Obi-Wan would never have saved her or trained Luke, meaning the Death Star would have turned most disagreeable planets into rock-flavoured sherbet. Why did he blow himself up? It's not like he could see into the future, is it? Surprisingly, yes, he could. According to Star Wars canon, R5 is a Force-sensitive astromech droid who sacrificed himself for the greater good, meaning, yes, he's an armless bin on tank tracks that could have been trained to be a Jedi. If you think Yoda flip-flopping around with a lightsaber and Attack of the Clones was ridiculous, imagine that same scene with R2-D2 instead. Wow. Number 8. Obi-Wan Kenobi. I'm not going to go into huge amounts of detail on Kenobi because his Wikipedia page is probably more in-depth than twice as long as the wiki pages for Jesus, the Queen, Abraham Lincoln and Shakespeare combined because geeks. That's why. Instead, I'm just going to give you a recent tidbit of information that proves once and for all that George Lucas makes this shit up as he goes along. In 2011, Lucas was interviewed on popular American current affairs satire programme The Daily Show. Presenter John Stewart started asking George unanswered questions about the Star Wars canon, such as what species Yoda was. Lucas, to his credit, evaded the questions until Stewart asked him what Obi-Wan Kenobi's home world was called. George uttered the throwaway line, Stew John, an obvious truncation of the presenter's name. Only, it wasn't a throwaway line at all. It's now official canon, appearing on all the Kenobi-related merchandise. We can only hope that George is not interviewed by a Peter file when the subject of Yoda's species comes up again. Imagine the problems that would cause. Number 7. The Ghost Droid Nobot. During Qui-Con Jinn's mission to Mos Espa and Tatooine to recover parts for Amidala's ship in The Phantom Menace, a grey C-3PO style protocol droid covered with burn marks can be seen shuffling around in the background. If you kind of squint a lot. By now, you must know that everything in the Star Wars universe has a ridiculous story. Well, no bots, no different. But his is crazy horror movie shit, too. Apparently, he wanders around Mos Espa covered with dried blood. According to Jira, 
the old woman street vendor seen speaking to Anakin in episode 1, Nobot was the only witness to the murder of a young pregnant woman many decades ago. I think you know what Jira's getting at there. He's a murderous sod. Any attempt to put down Nobot results in laser guns jamming, and leading him out to the desert results in him wandering back again to Mos Espa sooner rather than later, leaving many to speculate that he is surrounded by the dark side of the Force. Yes, the kids' movie that gave us Jar Jar Binks also gave us an undead murderous abortionist bot. Well, fuck! Number 6, Max Rebo. Max Rebo was that cuddly-looking blue elephant that stuck out like a sore thumb in the band at Jabba's Palace in Return of the Jedi. Indeed, the band itself bared his name. Now, do you remember the band that plays the background music that we're listening to at the moment? That was the cantina theme by the modal nodes, who featured in A New Hope. Now, they were locked in a feud with the Max Rebo band, sort of like Blur and Oasis in 1995, only nothing like that at all, as Damon Albarn never killed the Oasis tour manager. Yep, figuring down of the modal nodes murdered the manager of the Max Rebo band to prevent them from taking their cushy little job at that cantina in Moss Eisley. Blimey. So what did Max do? Well, he popped over to Jabba's palace and rather short-sightedly signed a lifelong contract to perform because Jabba offered him unlimited food. Oh, and that of his band as well. We weren't so keen on those terms. Karma isn't really a bitch, however as Max not only survived the explosion that killed most of the inhabitants of Jabba's palace, but he also became a wealthy restauranteur by opening a chain called Max's Flanth House and retired to the capital city of Coruscant. Mmm, Flanth. Oh, and just one other aside, the instrument that Max played in the band was called a Red Bull Organ. The genre of music he played? Jizz. Other instruments associated with jizz music include the peel rod, the jizz box, the clack beep box, and the clue horn. Not to forget the plonk sounder. Yes, there's some funny words. We love a bit of innuendo here on the Milking It podcast! Well, hell's bells, is that the time? I fear I may have overrun a little. Master Davis will have my guts for garters. It's amazing how much official backstory bollocks there is out there. And to think we're only halfway through! Right, well, my eyes are tired from all this bloody research. So please join me again next week for part two. Bye! This week saw the return of a wrestling icon. On uh, Monday Night Raw, he came out uh, for the first time since the 15th anniversary of the show where he made a special appearance. Uh, He's spent most of his time uh, lounging around in TNA, getting paid to do very little from what we can gather. But uh, he's returned. He's back, brother. It was the return of the red and yellow, the man himself. The only disappointment was that he came out to Real American, not Voodoo Child. But this week... I was there live, not in person. I was watching it live on television because of my wonderful insomnia. But I was there watching the return in the opening segment of the most important Raw they've ever done, apparently. It was Hulk Hogan. He's back, boo. He's back. You've already messed up, Dave. You see, I would not accept anything less than the return of Hulk Hogan to the Real American theme song. Because when I hear that opening lick, 
there's a bit of science and then <laughs> that is when I pop for Hogan because that is what brings in the childhood memories like from from days of days of old but um a lot of people slate Hulk Hogan mm. in fact the same people that everyone was like oh get Hogan out of TNA get Hogan out of TNA is rubbish oh did you hear Hulk Hogan's back in the WWE Hulk Hogan's back in the WWE <laughs> it's the same guys it's just the right fit. Hogan belongs in the WWE. The WWE belongs with Hogan. It just it, it's a natural fit. And in fact, this week saw the return of the old and also the introduction of the new um, because uh, Hulk, Hulk's um, reintroduction to the WWE universe comes round about the same time as the introduction day of the WWE Network. Yeah, indeed. That that was Hogan's job. He was literally there to be the ambassador for the WWE. He came out, he cut about a four or five minute promo they didn't give him a lot of time to get it over he messed up there was a, there was a little bit of a, a mess up in terms of the the message he was delivering he was not quite on point um he did say it was the launch of the wwe universe but very swiftly corrected himself and said he was there for the launch of the wwe network so not surprising that they'd want to get him on board as you know the, the wwe network is offering every pay-per-view the wwe has ever done and certainly for the first sort of 10 years from 85 to 95 i'd say the vast majority of them have a little bit of hulkster in them but uh yeah it was good to see him to be fair it, it, you know he's he is of course a cartoon character he is of course a parody of himself now um but he is that little slice like you say of nostalgia and we've said before we you know we, we can consider ourselves well i consider myself a bit of a smart mark when it comes to wrestling but it was uh it was good to see him you know it was nice it was a nice little pop when he came out and uh, it, like i say it was that nostalgia pop which is uh, is definitely what they're after and it seems interesting that in the same year where the warrior has come back into the fold to go into the hall of fame we're also getting hogan there as well and you know rick flair's come back and it's it's very much the the they pretty much nailed every single member of this cast from the sort of late 80s early 90s um and, and like i say our childhood has returned sir absolutely um but with, I mean, with the WWE Network, I've unfortunately mm. not had an opportunity to go over it yet, um, being that it's not officially available in the UK. <laughs> I know that there are ways around it, and uh, I, I think it's only fair that if you're paying your money, you're not exactly cheating them out of it. So, um, Dave, why don't you... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, um, I did I did manage to get hold of the WWE Network um, using the same workaround uh, that I used to get the uh, US version of Netflix. So... Um, uh registered i I'm, I'm on there i'm currently enjoying my uh my free weeks trial uh and from everything that's on there at the moment i am very very tempted to continue with the service it's um just the sheer amount of pay-per-view on there that you can watch i mean like, i've literally i've got it in front of me now and it gives you the opportunity with the pay-per-views to choose pretty much every not it's not every single one there are a couple of missing ones so you can go right the way back in terms of wcw uh, to 1983 with the starcade that's the first one they've got on there moving all through the sort of sting era going through the hogan era we know obviously all the nwo stuff this is stuff that we've never ever had released in this country there were one or two vhs's back in the day sort of 98 99 time um never really been any dvds released other than the bits and pieces that um the wwe have sort of drip fed us over the years but uh no it's it's 
it's just amazingly interesting. Obviously, they're not all great matches. They're not all great pay-per-views. There's some absolute rubbish on there. I was watching uh, Uncensored uh, the other day, which is, without a doubt, Uncensored 97 is one of the worst pay-per-views I think I've ever watched. Could, could you enlighten us as to some of the, the highlights of that card, day? There must be some cracking matches. Uh, yeah, I can. I think any any card that starts with a graphic that includes Brian Nobbs, uh, you know that uh, you're not exactly in for a sort of Luthez catch-as-catch-can classic. Nobbs and Sags, two of the most classiest names in wrestling. It was um, it, it was the one that ended... There was a, a, a main event for 97, which was Hollywood Hogan, Randy Savage, uh, The Outsiders. I think. Oh, it, was, it was a triangle elimination. I, I sat through this bloody thing and I, I tried to wipe it from my memory, but I believe the public enemy were involved in some capacity. Uh, the opening match was a Dean Malenko one. You got some awful backstage segments involving Jeff Jarrett and Roddy Piper along. So when they were like the uh, had Chris Benoit in there, and yes, I've said the word. Um, but it, it was just interesting to see as a sort of like like we say a nostalgia thing. It was very interesting to uh, to sort of dive in and amazing to think that that it was that sort of quality of pay per view that was beating the WWE at the time. But uh, yeah, it was it was very good. I mean. WWE stuff again. It's not every single pay per view that's on there at the moment. Um, there's one or two missing ones. I know there's a couple of Royal Rumbles missing. In fact, I think the Benoit Royal Rumble isn't on there. I might be wrong. I think I think, I think there's only so much you can um, you can edit out of a. Uh, a, a, a yeah. A, a, there's only so much Benoit you can remove from a pay per view. I was actually um, talking with. Um, uh, a wrestler I know in America, Mosh Pit Mike. Uh, good, cool good. name. I like that. Mosh Pit Mike. Yeah, he wrestles. Um, he wrestles uh, for the ICP and uh, a couple of other people. But, but we were just kind of having a laugh on Facebook about it. Um, he, he, people mentioning the dreaded B word, the, the crisp noir. And um, <laughs> I don't know whether you'd seen that Matthew from Botchamania, but um, it, it, it was just a picture. If you type crisp noir into the search bar, it says does not know yeah. that that uh, does not meet any criteria. There's, um, there are matches on there with him in, but just not by name. You can't search for a Chris Benoit match. The only thing that's that's really frustrating so far is that they've um, they've done a really good thing. Is that with with a lot of them, they're gradually working through them. You can tell this is a work in progress, and they're still updating it every day. They've now taken the WWE pay per views and put them by year, so you can just go through the full years rather than just being this huge list of. of product is oh, that they that appeals because like, i'd love to go through 97 again all the way through and like um in wwe and completely maybe 90, yeah that appeals you know but oh, well you can i, see I everything can leading up to the montreal screw job you can see everything yeah. leading up to the you know to various events i mean that appeal well yeah 90, like 1997 for instance i've just brought 1997 up uh, in front of me you've got things like the final four in your house you've got so that the Vader, uh, bulldog austin. sid and someone austin is it Brett, Sid, Vader, and Davy Boy? Isn't it? And Austin? No, I don't think Davy oh, Boy. Oh, is... Jesus! What am I thinking of Davy? No, I'm th- sorry. I'm thinking of the Fab Four, which was a documentary from back in the day by WWE. That oh, was Undertaker. Yes, I remember that. Do you remember that? Yes, um, yeah. Was... Undertaker talking out of character slightly, which was yes, very bizarre oh, back in the day. Including the line, "Well, I, when I, I won my first WWE title off the, <laughs> well, he was called the Immortal, but we've learned that that's something he isn't. Hulk Hogan." 
Yes, it was it was a very snarky shoot style, but obviously wasn't shooting. Yes, oh, dude, me- memories in the <laughs> corners of my mind. Well, that that's that was 1997 because I've got it on a tagged classic DVD with the one night only pay per view that I was at in yes. Birmingham, which yes. was Shawn Michaels British Bulldog main event. Just a oh, brilliant night. But yeah, that's oh, that's on here. In fact, was that, 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 that my my disabled sister is in the audience so um like making like you know no she had she had cancer that one she came down she came down with him because originally ah here we go fact fans 1997 do you remember a um a page three girls who she was kind of a loaded magazine from called joe guest I remember Joe. Uh, uh, I mean, uh, Joe <laughs> okay. So gla- she used to wear glasses all the time to make her look incredibly like. Oh, I'm a sexy geek. Right. So yes, there was um, there was a tiny, tiny little um, interview thing that BRMB, who were a station up in Birmingham, for anyone who doesn't know, kids, um, they did this kind of weird. Oh, so weird. Um, they had a little outside broadcast unit. It was in a car park in the round the back of Beyond in Birmingham, and they did this kind of public appearance to hype the pay per view. So it was two days before this one night only pay per view. Um, Bulldog was there, and Shawn Michaels was there. At the time, I've got pictures from it because I was there as well, kids. Memorable for me for two reasons. Um, I got to do an NWO Wolfpack moment of touching fingers with Shawn Michaels because I'm an utter mark when he came to sort of meet and greet with people and shake their hands and stuff. Um, And also, I got to have a really good chat. Like, I'm talking 15, 20 minutes with Diana Hartsmith because she was just hanging round by the side waiting for them to finish this stupid little promo interview thing they were recording and just got chit-chatting and she was the nicest person she was really really sweet but yes that was wow that's just made me think of something i haven't thought about for years but um yeah the, the photos i've got as well show in the background that um gerald briscoe and shane mcmahon were both there but obviously at the time they were never spoken about on tv so i didn't know who they were they were just like these backstage characters who were there to help organize the event and stuff but yeah so anyway <laughs> so what happened was they announced at this little uh, public appearance thing you're literally talking 150 200 people there at the most and um they announced that the bulldog was going to be accompanied down to the ring that night by joe guest um so joe guest is walked out onto this little platform thing to wave at the crowd and she got booed. I'm talking Batista style now. <laughs> like, I have never heard a crowd kill someone instantly with, with a response. It was brutal. Properly brutal. So they made the decision, based on that, that she was not going to walk the bulldog down to the ring that night. And instead, bulldog walked down with his sister, who was uh, undergoing treatment for cancer. There we go, fact fans. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's another little Milking It story right here on the Milking It podcast. Yeah, that was a weird one. I haven't thought about that for years. Um, but yes, so back to the WWE Network. Uh, less about Joe Guest. I'm sure uh, Boo will be frantically Googling himself tonight over that one. But um, yes, uh, so basically they did a breakdown and stuff. And it, it was literally like that the other day. I, I sat there and I watched pretty much every in your house from 1996 because 
to me, that was one of the worst times in wrestling. We've, we spoke about it earlier with the whole Mabel, King Mabel stuff and all that kind of thing. And it was an awful time to be a wrestling fan. No one was a wrestling fan at that point. It was quite embarrassing. But going back and watching them, do you know what? There's a few good matches. Bloody hell, Flash Funk could work. <laughs> you, no, that was too cold Scorpio. You yeah, classics in every promotion I've ever... Have I? I'm sure I've seen Too Cold wrestle over here, and like, just sorry, Too Cold Scorpio is one of the unsung heroes of professional wrestling. Absolutely. As a kid, um, he always stood out to me in WCW, um, because I oh, this is going to be terrible. As a child, I just thought he was Black Sting. Mm-hmm. I thought he was just the black version of Sting because you had Sting and Too Cold Scorpio in the same promotion with the Scorpion gimmick on the tights and everything. I thought for ages, I thought. He, oh, Sting's got like a black counterpart. Well, that's pretty cool. Hmm. As a kid, you know, as a kid. Yeah. But yeah, um, check him out in ECW. Check Absolutely. Him out there's uh, there's some great matches in ECW with him, definitely, and a, a lot of which are available on uh, on the WWE Network. Um, but yeah, I haven't even touched on the ECW stuff that's on there. They've they've started now putting all of the old ECW TV shows on, which I've never seen any of the hardcore TV stuff. So I'm quite looking forward to going back and delving into those. Um, oh, they've started putting on. Let me see what's on here at the moment. Um, you've got quite a bit in the vault in terms of there's WCCW. Um, so if you want to watch uh, your, your world, world class, class. Yep. Um, they've also started putting on, and uh, apparently from something I was, I was listening to the other day, by the end of next month, every single Madison Square Garden show from the WWE, so going back to sort of the 60s, anything they've got on tape will end up on here. So you'll be able to go back and watch all the Bruno Sammartino, ah, Bruno Sammartino matches, the Dusty Roads against Billy Graham and those sort of classics. You'll also see you some mean, shit on there, but... Dusty Rhodes, baby. Dusty Rhodes, baby. Billy Graham, baby. Yes, two two of the best promos in the business. Um, but you'll be glad to hear the uh, that we spoke about it last time that we mentioned the WWE Network uh, is that they've started putting on all of the old Legends of Wrestling roundtables. So, yeah, that's like we said uh, last time when we spoke about it. They are some of the highlights of the last few years for me. Um, it's just I love hearing the stories and the splicing them with the footage and stuff is just really really wonderful but yeah re- I'm really impressed genuinely really impressed uh, I'm going to sit down later on and watch NXT from last night because um, the shows are going on pretty much uh, straight away after the shows are finished um, the only thing I'd say in terms of the Raws and the Smackdowns is it looks like there's about a four week delay on them so I don't know whether that's something they've had to guarantee in terms of like with the obviously the cable suppliers in the states and the rest of the world is that they're not going to be showing those live obviously but that they're also not going to be putting them up very quickly because i think things like hulu and netflix in the states show them quite pretty much the next day uh, but it doesn't look as if they'll be doing that with the wwe network which is no problem i can you know i can quite happily wait a few weeks to watch stuff if there's a good match i can you know go back and, and watch it because there's just so much on here that and obviously the pay-per-views are the the, the big deal Sorry, the, the one thing I was going to say before I got distracted by the Joe Guest uh, thing is that, um, yeah, so what they've started doing is they've broken them down um, and you get the timeline at the bottom of the video as it's playing and they've put like little blobs that you can go straight to for when the matches start. But what they also do is there's, there's a blob like just as the finishing moves being hit, but they put a description on it. So if you haven't seen the event... 
you're you're in danger of this fucking spoiler line along the bottom of it telling you exactly what's going on but you know i can i can put it with that because at least i know to skip through the uh, disco inferno matches and things like that <laughs> but no v- uh, genuinely well worth checking out and um it just it, it bodes well i mean if, if they keep adding the content i mean you forget how rich their video library is um yeah. you know the, the I, fact I that I actually i mentioned this a couple of weeks ago dave when we first talked about the network i said what would sell it is content uh, as in the stuff that you weren't able to like you've been yeah. able to get king of the ring 98 on dvd and video for, forever because of like you know the big because of the big it was a big event and the hell in a cell between mankind and, uh, and the undertaker is huge so that event has never been out of circulation but then there are little events from other promotions which have been out of circulation mm. that the wwe own that you just cannot get anywhere else i mean it's it's next to impossible to get wcw pay-per-views now and now there is a way of getting them and you know all of them all in one place and yeah I mean, it, it, does, it does appeal to the fans and like i say you, you take the good with the bad it's that you know not every wcw pay-per-view in fact i can't name a wcw pay-per-view where every match was great up and down the card but to be fair to them i can't name many wwf pay-per-views when the uh, the actual card was 100 percent brilliant probably not since wrestlemania 17 but yeah just there's so much stuff on there there's all the wrestlemania bits they had some quite serious issues last night apparently when people were trying to stream the live nxt event i mean we've spoken about nxt before obviously in the uk it's been available it's been available on the wwe.com but this is the first time that it's been generally available in the states so a lot of people last night would have been watching that for the first time the show itself has got amazing reviews really looking forward to watching that later on today but yeah they, they encountered some serious streaming problems with that last night um hopefully you know between now and wrestlemania they can iron those out and put in you know the structure but it's been amazing it's been so much more popular than i think they thought it was going to be um their stress tests and stuff before they launched it just couldn't have imagined the amount of people i think because a lot of people around the world have found it very easy to access so everyone in canada has been able to get hold of it there was some uh, workarounds with Roku boxes and things that people were doing. So it's not just in the States. I think they're very, very quickly going to get... The, the number they touted was that they needed um, a million subscribers to break even uh, and for it to work as a, as a prospect going forwards. I don't think they're going to have a, a, an issue with that if they're, uh, if they're making it as available as they are. There's, there's definitely no a real clamp down on people outside the US getting hold of it at the moment. Oh, I mean I'm definitely I'm definitely interested in checking out um maybe once it's officially out in the UK and uh, and I'm doing a bit better financially I uh, I might be on board and I think I'm going to be like you it's going to be one of these Netflixy things where you watch one thing and it leads on hmm. to something else or it recommends you watch something else you're like oh actually no I didn't see the pay-per-view or you see a pay-per-view that doesn't have a definitive ending that you didn't know about before and you're like well I've got to watch the next one now so I, I think it's a fantastic thing and I think as I keep on saying it's the stuff that you weren't it's not the stuff that you've seen before that you're you know you're nostalgic about it's the stuff that you've never had access to that is hmm. just going to sell it for me no absolutely and like the only um, the only downside I've come across so far is that it, obviously because it's not officially launched there is no app on my xbox or xbox one um, apparently the apps <clears throat> were a bit dodgy on day one yeah in the, in america i think they had issues with the xbox app but um it would be quite nice to sit down and watch it on my tv 
as opposed to having to sit at my computer and watch it. But you know, that's 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 going to happen. That'll that'll come along. And in the meantime, I'm I'm really enjoying it and, and genuinely couldn't couldn't praise it enough, sir. The, the, the WWE Network has definitely been a big big win this week. I've really really enjoyed it. So that was the Milking It podcast, episode 18. Thank you very much for joining us. And as always, thank you to Jay for the bits and pieces that he does for us. Thank you to Dino, star of his brand new podcast for uh, all the artwork. And thank you to John Sands for the music you hear that tickles your ear. This was this week's Walk Through the Week of Geek. I'm David Davis. And as always, I'm Boo Lamont. And we hope you join us again next week for all that is geeky at the Milking It podcast. You want to milk it and you know Get you know. Chill out, you c- Right? <laughs> <laughs> Chill out, you c- <laughs> <David>. <laughs> <laughs>